Hi, everyone. Welcome to the first Paddock Pass podcast note show from the Qatar Airways Grand Prix of Qatar. We're sitting outside the media center, and Neil Morrison, myself, Adam Weed, I'm delighted that we've been joined by Borja Gonzalez as well from DAZN. Um, Borja, it's good to have you on the podcast for the very first time. Uh, Thank thank you. Thanks for joining us. Too late. No, I <laughs> should say, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. No, it's, it's, uh, it's the, the best moment in the season, no? When yeah. everything is going to be decided. Well, we, mainly MotoGP, that is uh, the main thing here in the championship. Also, you speak in your whole, week, whole weekend in your native language, so we wanted yeah. to keep you practicing your English. You I will try. Is, I, I don't use it so much. Maybe sometimes in the garage I can use it. Maybe sometimes making some interviews, but it's not the... That I'm always talking in English. So I think, to be I, honest, I, we miss you in the press conferences because you ask good questions. But sometimes, you know, yeah, you, the, quest, the yeah. press conference. I don't like to make uh, questions in the press conference. I, I, I have to say, but it's not because of the language. It's because I okay. This is maybe people won't like to hear this, but I prefer to do the questions just when not uh, all the people is hearing uh, from home. Yeah, there's two <laughs> views on that because you're not getting exclusive material for the stories, but then it's also the writer has said it on the record and he said it in front of a big audience, so it has another yes, value. It has this, this double side, but the point is that sometimes when you're trying to make a story about something that is happening around the weekend or whatever, if you make the question, it's not the same thing that doing uh, making the question in Spanish for a Spanish writer uh, with other, uh, three journalists or in English with uh, 10 journalists than doing it uh, for, I don't know, how many people is watching this uh, from home. Many, It's okay, yeah, I don't, I don't care, but uh, I prefer to use this, this uh, opportunity to, to have something more close. Neil, what are your first thoughts on being here at uh, La Salle International Circuit? It's quite a change. Yeah, it's, quite, it's had quite an uplift. I mean, considering what Qatar put into the World Cup and the sort of opulence that we see around Doha, coming to the track here in previous years, wasn't always that impressive apart from obviously the lights that uh, illuminate the track but yeah the pit building you know the riders off the team's offices were always a bit like yeah wooden sheds yeah wooden sheds not so much whereas now it's very impressive I mean it's like probably the most spectacular media center team pit building complex that we have now maybe alongside the rebel ring it's uh, it's quite a change yeah, the power of Formula One. I mean, there's LED screens everywhere. It's uh, quite a transformation. I think a lot of the riders bought her today, especially, have been talking about that. It's um, this country, when they have the resources and the will to do something in a sporting sense. I mean, you only have to drive around the city and see the investment for the FIFA World Cup. I mean, the legacy, it was only, only a, over a year ago, but you can see it everywhere. Yeah, uh, the point is that when we arrived here in 2004, the first season... It, this di- didn't look so bad because in the end uh, the city was much more smaller uh, you don't see so many buildings like now but now after so many years uh, you feel that we were super old this paddock was uh, and now okay we, we must say thanks to Formula 1 and this is if people has, has watched I think so this Drive to Survive story the, in Netflix there is I think it's Abu Dhabi or maybe one of these uh, uh, circuits uh, it's super it looks like this place now and uh, it's uh, now it's a different story now Qatar is what we were expecting also as you said after the world championship the the football or soccer world championship uh, now we are in a proper Qatar place Neil one of the we're talking about the transformation in the track and one of the big topics of course that the track layout hasn't changed at all but it has been resurfaced 
And there were even some rumors that the riders would get a longer practice time to get used to the surface and also the extra tire allocation that Michelin had bought. But um, that's not going to be the case. No, it's not. No. Um, yeah, we've got the same setup this weekend as normal. Um, Michelin have brought a bigger tire allocation. I think we've got four different front tires now instead of three. We've got three rear tires now instead of two for the riders to check out and try. Problem is that um, basically we have one session on Friday evening, which is going to be the practice session, which is going to be relevant for the sprint and for the race. The kind of early FP1 and then Saturday morning's FP3 sessions, or I should say early afternoon sessions, they're going to be during the afternoon, which will have no relevance whatsoever to the racing times so basically everything's going to fall on practice tomorrow and we've heard that the track is going to be super dirty as well i think we or we saw that with formula one when they were here recently so yeah i think alicia spargo was saying that there's no point getting excited in the first even two practice sessions because the track is just going to be changing session after session getting cleaner and cleaner um so yeah it's going to be really interesting and then of course we obviously have the the championship you know coming to a very critical phase in these kind of strange conditions on a new track surface that no one has any experience of, not even Michelin. Michelin have come here saying that they're a little bit nervous about this weekend. You know, it could be, it could be quite spicy. It could be quite interesting. Yes, and for me, the, the point is that uh, here we can... Uh, luckily for the guys who are fighting for the championship, they are using both Ducatis. So this, this story about uh, having eight Ducatis on track is going to be really useful for them. And it's, it's super good for them. I mean, because they will have a lot of info. So... Uh, this means that maybe it's a it's a good place for Ducati, like every place, but it can be also better because of this situation. And also what Neil says, uh, FP1 is going to be tough because in the end uh, they are going to to go on track at the same time that they are going to to be fighting for the pole position. So conditions, I mean, in terms of temperature and these kind of things, it's are going to be the same from Friday FP1 to the queues uh, on Saturday, so they need to understand this. But in the other side, track is going to be dirty, so they won't have the proper information. But um, you, you need to be super clever with this, and of course, the amount of info that uh, Ducati is going to, to take uh, from Friday is going to be really useful for, for them. The point is that it's going to be also good for, for the show because it's going to be useful for the two guys that are fighting for the championship. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the fact that we have so many different tires that could be usable. Um, I think it was Pekka was saying that maybe a couple of the different Ducati guys can just go out and basically try the tires that maybe no one's thinking of, just so they can have an idea. Okay, that's not an option. That's not an option. You know, if you're Fabio Quartararo or Franco Morbidelli, you just frankly don't have that luxury. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of what Borja was saying. You know, they're... Jorge and, and Peck are, are both lucky that they're in the same boat in that sense. But, um, yeah, I do think that this could be a weekend where we see some strangeness, some surprises. We're used to seeing two press conferences with six riders. Today we only had one press conference with two riders. Uh, it's the championship visually is separated into Team Peko and Team Bagnaya. I was trying to explain to somebody in Dorno, it doesn't make much sense because it should be Team Bagnaya and Team Martin. Uh, but, Borja, from, from your perspective... You know, after Jorge Lorenzo and Marc Marquez, Martin could be, you know, the, the third Spanish champion in this series, you know, for quite some time. What's the feeling amongst the Spanish press and amongst your sort of circle about Martin's chances and his credibility? Uh, well, know, we don't have to forget Mir, eh? because oh, we, we Mir, forget sorry, Mir yes, because I think we want to forget 2020. <laughs> in all but yeah, no, no. Uh, I think we feel how strong he is. 
and, and this is something that you you feel when the when the rider is talking to you. He the, he believes a lot of in, in himself, and you feel that he's fast, uh, super easy. Um, and uh, it, maybe it's the, the guy who who arrives to the limit earlier. For him, I think, and this is was this was interesting from uh, Malaysia. It was the first time where, where he was feeling that uh, this thing we were talking about uh, sharing data with the other guys. It was uh, on, uh, something not good for him because he was the fastest guy. So then he knew that all the guys that are in the, with the same fa- uh, bike can arrive to his level. So this means obviously Banyaya can can arrive to my level. But yes, uh, we feel that that, that he's uh, he has the possibility to be the world champion. The problem is that also I think in the other side, like everybody here. You always think, okay, but this guy is fighting with a satellite team. He's fighting against a Ducati factory. It's not like Ducati is, is proving that they are doing something wrong. It's not like this. To be fair, they look uh, super good in that. But always in this sport, when there are so many engineers behind one guy and not so many behind the other, you feel that this is small details but because the problem is now you cannot say, okay, this track is good for Martin, this one is good for Banyaya, this situation is good for one or he's better. I feel that they are super equal right now. But do you think Martin has the mentality? Does he have the, the strength to handle the pressure? I mean, um, Bagnaia has been through it already. Yeah, uh, this is uh, maybe this is the, the the question mark. We don't know. The point is that he's uh, we only have two GPs uh, until the end of the season, and he's there. So we can say that uh, till this point, he has uh, proved that he can deal with the, this pressure. Maybe okay, he he had these two bad races. Uh, uh, the one in Australia, but I think that it was something more related to the strategy than, than the pressure. And yes, the, the other one, it was something that he did that also we saw in the past with Banyaya, this kind of races where the Ducati looks so strong that the riders doesn't understand exactly the limit. That, that is something that it looks that happened in, in Indonesia. But taking out these two situations, he did he, he doesn't look like a guy who is feeling this pressure or He's feeling the pressure, but he can deal with it during the races. Even the other day, for me, uh, and after knowing that Peko uh, had a warning after the Malaysian race, this fourth position is super good because he was passed by. He he he, he tried to overtake uh, Peko. Peko was super fast uh, overtaking him, and knowing that he cannot arrive to to Peko, he was dealing okay with the fourth position in a super tough race. And now he knows that. Uh, Pressure did something in that situation also. The duel has been hyped up, Neil, but I think a comment by Jorge Martin in the press conference was quite revealing where he said, listen, we cannot make a mistake because at this point in the season, a mistake means you lose the championship. And I think that shows how high the stakes are actually going to be when we get on track for the sprint in the main race. Yeah, I mean, 14 points doesn't sound like a lot, but it, if you're Jorge Martin, it, it is if you make a mistake. You, can, you simply can't make a mistake here. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see just how he sort of approaches this weekend. You know, Borja is absolutely right. He's dealt with the pressure really well on a couple of different occasions in the last few weeks. He couldn't think of higher pressure than what he faced in Thailand, and he dealt with that superbly. Um, but this is a... He has to make progress. He has to beat Peko this weekend. Um, you know, it's not just about sort of looking and seeing what he's doing. He needs to show that sort of explosiveness that we saw back in... 
uh, Indonesia back in Australia where he was comfortably faster than the rest and it's going to be interesting to see whether he can do that here but then this is the place where he was on the pole position and on the podium in his second ever MotoGP race in 2021 so I know Pecco is a good record here but coming fast out of the blocks Jorge also is uh, you know a proven track record here Borja the last Italian to represent Repsol Honda Max Biaggi perhaps yeah. yeah, it must yeah. be. Yeah, it's almost 20, 20 years ago, I would say. It was almost. Yeah. Ah, Dobby, Dobby. It's true. Dobby, yeah, okay, Dobby. right, yeah. It's true. That would have been, what, 2009? When uh, Casey was there, no? 2010, 11. Mid- 11 or 10, something like this. Yeah, but then we yeah. went to Tech 3. 12. Yeah, straight afterwards. Um, there's been no more confirmation about mm-hmm. Luca Marini, but it does seem from his, uh, his demeanor in the media debrief today that... You know, the story of him having two years of Repsol Honda is, is looking pretty solid. I mean, it's only a matter of time now before it's going to be announced. Uh, thoughts on that? I know he was expecting to, to have everything signed uh, on Sunday after on Sunday in Malaysia. But it, it looks like they have not already signed the contract. Uh, it's also, I think, something like there are no, no many other options for Honda right now. Okay. Yes, they can. They 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 need to. Maybe they can choose in between Fabio Di Antonio and Luca Marini. So they need to decide in between these two riders because Marini is there because he 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 approached Honda. He was the one to who offered himself because he has his reasons to 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 want to move from BR forty six from the best bike to this bike. Uh, it's in something personal. No, I mean uh, in terms of how he feels inside the the box. How what he wants to do or what he thinks about his future because in the end uh, he it looks like he's not going to have the many chances to go to the factory team Ducati factory team so this is one big opportunity to be in a factory and it looks like that this is the only way right now so um, for me it's a matter of time uh, to 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 have this uh, announcement i don't think this is going to to change and i know maybe i'm wrong but i think there are not so many other possibilities mark marquez in his media debrief was talking about the role of alberto puig uh, not only just in this negotiation for luca marini but also for the future uh, People can criticise Puj Borja, but you know he's very much a fulcrum of that team and the link with HRC. It seems he still has the power to be able to make these moves and, and to break what would be like a contract cycle. Because if Marini, Marini has two years, then it's only going to be him, Binder and Bagnaya really rolling into 2025 with any sec- firm security, right? Uh, Bagnaia, does he have? No, Bagnaia, no. Bagnaia, no. no. no, no, no. in the inner 24. Uh, yeah, yeah. I oh, think okay. it's only, it's only, Bag- Binder, only Binder, I think. It's Binder and, and Marini. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that makes the Marini contract even more of a mm. a pretty big Yeah, but thing. for sure, the, the, I'm not sure. But I think that right now how the things are going on, um, if, on, if, on the, if Onda makes something on the bike and the bike is super competitive, um, it's not because of Luca. And they want to make any movement inside the factory, they will do. I, it, that does, it doesn't mean broken the contract with with uh, Luca, but he can be a, a factory rider sitting another in another place. This can happen because it has happened in the past. I mean, they they move uh, Alex Marquez the way they want. So it's. Uh, I think this 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 is not going to be a problem in this moment. Uh, the point is uh, to see if if Luca is the proper rider to develop this bike. And we, we need to also to understand because Mir has said many times he doesn't want to live another year like this one. So if the bike starts bad, we need to understand which is uh, Joan's mood. And this means that, uh, that it's not only the mood of the rider. 
it's like the I understand that the manager will begin to move the rider in other places. So it's a, it's going to be super interesting to be what Honda can do and how how Marini can can deal with it. And you were talking about Alberto. Alberto, I think for the riders is is true because I have seen this uh, really close that he's a guy that that, that it's uh, behind the riders. He support them. Another story is if we want to to analyze as a sport manager or a team manager. I mean, in one situation, like the person who is talking to the other, I mean, the, how do you say, the, the, the one who is the... Well, I mean, the, the, mean image, the manufacturer or... The, the image oh, of, the, okay. of the thing, I yeah. mean, the guy who's talking... Who's to the, the public TV, face. The public yeah. face. And then the other thing is, like, it's for me, it's, there is one reality. We all know that uh, there were many chances that Mark was leaving this team in June. So I think if you are Repsol Honda or you are on the factory team, you need to have a plan B. And they didn't have a plan B. And they, they begin to, to check for a plan after Mark's announcement. This was in September, I think. Uh, yeah, almost, very late. Almost October. So we are talking about July, August, September. Three months doing nothing, and then suddenly you arrive to the market and you have no riders. Normal. So I mean, this is something. But also I know that um, Japan is not helping a lot. I mean, it's not easy to deal with Japan in these moments. So um, Alberto needs, needs to deal with Japan and needs to deal with the riders and needs to deal with the market. So it's not so easy. But obviously uh, they did something wrong in, in, in how they were dealing with the market, knowing that uh, there was, there was a, a possibility of market living. Now, Last year, Brad Binder took a runner-up position here on the KTM. He also did the same thing in the Grand Prix of Valencia. I think we have to count the KTMs as, as a, a viable force here this weekend. I mean, we'll see tomorrow, of course, but Jack Miller was telling us a little bit about uh, how difficult this circuit is to get right, and um, we'll play that clip right now. You know, just trying to put a whole lap together, I think is probably the hardest thing here. Because you never, ever feel like, even when you're doing, you know, lap records and, and so on around here, you never feel like you've put it all together because it's, it's a long lap, but it's not a long lap because there's a heap of straights and so on. Yeah, there's one big straight, but the rest is all sort of leading into each other. So it's a, it's a track where you can make up and lose time very quickly. But coming back to KTM since Brad Binder, we were also asking him about his championship prospects, Neil, and, uh, you know, he outside of this perpetual circle of Ducati competitiveness, occasional flashes from Aprilia and then the Japanese Cup, so to speak, uh, KTM is still the guys where you think, can they do it or can't they? And Malaysia, they looked like they were going to be fighting for the win. didn't really happen. So it's, it's tricky to call, isn't it? They're a bit of a mystery. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Um, I think for the most part, Brad's been really impressive this year, has been the rider most likely. I mean, he's fourth in the championship behind three Ducatis. Um, and there have been races where he's been pretty much the lone non-Jakadi fighting at the front, like in Australia, like in Thailand as well. Um, there have been a couple of mistakes in critical moments as well. Um, but then you, you're never quite sure, is that just him kind of getting to the limit of the bike? and Or is it him just making mistakes in a critical moment? Um, so it's going to be interesting to see next year what, you know, can Brad make that next step up and be a proper title contender? Um, but yeah, this weekend should be should be a good chance for KTM. I mean, he was brilliant here at the start of last year. Finished second, as you said. Um, two really good tracks for Brad coming up as well. Um, so there's no reason why they can't finish the year strong. 
Speaking of KTM, Borja, I want to ask you, I know you're very good friends with Paul Espargaro. Uh, he made his MotoGP debut here. He made his first race for KTM, famously when they were more than two seconds a lap off the pace. Uh, now for, for Paul, it's coming towards like the end of a, a little chapter, really. Uh, I mean, he's spoken in his media debriefs about needing a reset physically and mentally in the winter. Uh, there's going to be a different challenge for him next year. Uh, how, how do you see things with Paul? I mean, he's still, he can still push a lap. He's still competitive, right? I mean, maybe here we could see something pretty special from him. Yes, I think he feels this track can be okay for him. Is what you said. Uh, it's a good, it looks like a, a potential good, good track for the KTM. Uh, the problem with Paul is, I think, that uh, the amount of stress that he has uh, lived this year, it's amazing. I think we, we don't understand how, in, in, all, in all areas, I mean, physical, because of what he had, the crash and all the injuries and everything, when he came back also, he has been with a lot of stress, and then dealing with this, uh, we can say, I don't know, KTM, Peter Mobility situation, no? the, the contracts and all this story. So it, it has been super stressing for him. And he didn't have enough time to, to check himself, to think, uh, to stop, to, to rest a little bit, because we have had uh, many races in a row, uh, super hot temperatures that, that they were super bad for his condition. So I think he's with a lot of stress and this makes him um, being always oh, every weekend is like a like a it's he arrives to after saturday he's destroyed and during the the spring also and with the stress that also this MotoGP has so it's, it's true that this this kid he needs uh, two months or something like this to rest to 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 recheck everything to to train and to understand uh, which Paul Espargaro is here right now? Uh, obviously, he won't have many opportunities because it will, it, he will need to understand this testing and with the wildcats he, he, he will be able to do, but he needs to understand himself by this. Um, I mean, the, the, the trauma has been super big, super big. Two more questions for you both just to finish. Uh, Bora, who wins the GP on Sunday? Who's your tip for success here? I was thinking in, in Binder, in Brad. Okay. Uh, the point is that what I said in the beginning about the power of Ducatis, but it's because I believe so much in this in, in Brad. I think he's one of the best uh, riders in this grid. I think he's over his bike. So for me, I will say Brad Binder. No? Uh, uh, Nea? Yeah, let's just say That's that. That's again. Yeah, okay. winner here last year on a good roll. Just looked so brilliant in, uh, in Malaysia. And um, yeah, the old, the old kind of beast. I mean, how many times did we say this in the past week? But yeah, he's, he's, he's kind of looks like he's back. So yeah, I think he can keep up that good run. My second question: What about Moto Three? Do we think Masia Oof. can bring it, or you know, will Sasaki strike for the? I mean, he's been on the podium what ten times this year. Yeah. He's still looking for the. He's not a last lap specialist, let's be honest. But you know, he's still looking for that first victory. Maybe it's time to come. <laughs> I don't know. It's, for me, it's impossible to understand. I think I think Masia he has the speed. I I think also that. It's uh, when you are in a moto in Moto Three with these big groups and fighting against so many KTM's. It's difficult also because the guys in I, I mean Colin Bayer he, he didn't look like he was fighting for the factory, but I know that they have the message to to take care of the of uh, Sasaki in this moment. He's who is the one who is uh, 
who has the possibility of winning the championship for, for Peter Austrian, Mobility. Yeah, an Austrian motorcycle. Exactly. Yeah. So it's going to be tough for, for Masia. I was inside the Husqvarna Motorcycles team, uh, the intact crew there, doing an interview earlier, and they were talking about the mental strength of Masia, just saying, you know, he's, he's really... Because we've seen him in the past, and he'll make some pretty big mistakes at crucial moments. Mm. And, but this year, he looks pretty iron, you know, rock solid, you could say. What about your, your tip for Moto3? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I think that should be enough for Masia uh, to win the championship. I don't know if he said this in Spanish so far this year, Borja, but he was interesting after the, the Moto3 race in Malaysia where he said coming into this year, he thought this would be his last year racing, competing, because he thought, I've almost missed the train to move up to Moto2. I'm too old, in inverted commas, even though he's, what, 23, 24, uh, to make it to Moto2. And if I don't do that, then I don't really have any interest kind of being in Moto3 another year when it hasn't worked out. So he said he's kind of approached this year like, maybe this is going to be my last year. And yeah, yeah, yeah. having that sort of freedom, like not having so much pressure on himself has been um, one of the reasons, I guess, why he's, he's been able to perform at this level. So, yeah, I like, I like my... I think he seems like a different character this year when you speak to him. He seems a lot more mature, very interesting observations as well. Um, in the past, I never really found that with he, him, He's working also with a, a psychologist, you say, no? Um, that uh, is something that in the past he missed and it's something because of the team because the team they knew him very well from the 2020 and they say okay we need to work with this kid to, to make him uh, be uh, strong and not to, to, to have these up and downs that it was something that happened with him in the past and you see that he was uh, making ma- many mistakes and even in that moment in the season Silverstone I think when he crashed when uh, being first in, and Austria he has the, this uh, technical issue and he has to retire even this in that moment he was fifth I think 50-something points from the first, uh, he, he didn't surrender. He continued pushing, and it was not uh, easy. And this, this proved that, that he has changed a lot in this, in this point. Uh, yeah. uh, yes, I think he deserved this, this opportunity. But we don't know, I don't know how Sasaki is going to react, because for me, he's super fast. But I don't know. He needs to win a race, but uh, I don't know how he's going to deal with this situation. Yeah, time is running out. The Moto2 beckons for the Japanese. Anyway, that's the end of our notes show from the first day here in the Grand Prix of Qatar. Uh, we usually we put these productions on Patreon, but this time we're making them free for everybody, so we hope you like them. Send us any comments on Patreon or through X or Twitter, and uh, we'll try and answer Twitter. them tomorrow. We're saying Twitter, are we? Okay. Just, just keeping it you know, real or yeah. accurate, Neil. You've exactly. got to strive for accuracy now and again. Uh, yeah, we'll be back tomorrow after the sessions. Of course, um, the timetable much later is always the case here at the La Salle International Circuit. Borja, thanks ever so much for talking Thank to you. us. Um, and Neil, we'll get chatting and dissect things as they happen tomorrow.